We've come to the time in our worship service where we honor the reading of God's Word. This morning's scripture reading is Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. If you're using the Blue Pew Bibles, it is on page 980. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 to 30. Please stand to honor the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let me pray once more. Um, God, I just pray right now and I ask that the message from your spirit will be louder than the message that is heard here and that your work, the work of your spirit will be powerful and transform lives. Thank you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the fourth week of our series in the book of Philippians so far, Paul. Um, he's been telling the Philippians of his situation and his responses to all the situations that he's been in. Uh, and it's easy to see. It's easy to see from the book of Philippians that, that there's been a lot, that Paul has been going through a great deal of suffering and persecution. Um, it's, been, it's been mentioned often that Paul, he's in, he's in prison currently as he's writing, and he's staring um, Death, uh, he's, he's staring right into the face of death as he writes this letter. Um, and so Paul, he uses kind of the first sections of this letter uh, to encourage the Philippians by telling him uh, how he's been responding to suffering and persecution in his own life. And so, so kind of a recap, if you haven't been here uh, these past few weeks, or maybe if you've been out of town, this is kind of a quick recap of Philippians so far. But you know, as we went through Philippians, first we saw that Paul, he's more focused on advancing the gospel over his imprisonment. And then, we, and then we saw that Paul, he was more focused on Christ being preached over, um, the, you know, over opposition for other preachers. And then even last week, we saw Paul, he was more focused on Christ being magnified over living or dying. And so, so for Paul... Uh, this was his perspective on suffering. This was his perspective on how to deal with persecution. And this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to pass it along to the Philippians. He wanted to pass it along to the Philippians who were uh, going through persecution and suffering. And so as Paul, he shifts from addressing his own situation, he begins to address, uh, he, he shifts to, to, to addressing the Philippians um, in their situation. And so 
uh, he begins to address it by saying, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what is he saying? He's saying, Philippians, Christians, you should concern yourselves. You should focus yourselves with the conduct, with conduct worthy of the gospel over your persecution. He says, live a life worthy of the gospel. And so, and that's kind of what we want to look at. What is this life worthy of the gospel? And what does that mean? What does the life look like? What does it worthy of the gospel look like? And so, uh, what does Paul call the church of, uh, in, in Philippi to do? And so that's kind of what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do here today. And we're going to try to answer this. And I hope, it to, I hope to do it with the outline here, as you can see, um, the three things. That the gospel gives us a new citizenship. The gospel gives us a community. And the gospel gives us a way to witness. And so that's what we're going to do here today. And so the first thing, a new citizenship. Philippians 1, 27. Let's look at that. Philippians 1, 27. <coughs> it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you, and they may hear of you, and that you are standing firm. So there's two things that we need to see what's going on in this passage. Um, there are two things that will help us to understand what Paul is emphasizing as his citizenship. And so um, first thing, the first thing uh, is a word that Paul uses, and it's not as clear here in this English text. Uh, but so in the English text, it says, let your manner of life manner of life, or another translation that says, conduct yourselves. Uh, but to go even further into this word of manner of life or conduct yourselves, um, it's this nuance of live your life as citizens. Live your life as citizens. And so Paul, he's hitting upon this idea of citizenship um, because of the many, because in, in, in Philippi, the people prided themselves in being citizens of this great city. And so they were proud citizens, and the big thing was they were, part, they were proud to be part of the, the Roman rule. Uh, they were proud to kind of be, uh, be called Roman citizens. And so they were obtained, and because of that, and because of their Roman citizenship, they were able to obtain special privileges. Um, and it was an honor to live there. And so, so Paul, he was using this idea of being citizens of a special place. But rather, if anything, he goes, well, if you think it's special to be uh, this, uh, to, be, to be a citizen, uh, 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 to be to live as a Roman citizen, well, being a citizen of heaven is even better. And so that's kind of what he's trying to say here and what he wants his, his readers to know. He says, remember where you belong now. Remember who you are. Remember your citizenship. Remember what the gospel has done for you in your life. Remember your new identity as a child of God instead of just a Roman citizen, right? Remember that your home is not this great city of Philippi, but remember that your home is coming for you, that you have a hope that does not fade away. So I want you to remember these things as, this citizen, as a citizen of heaven. So as a, as a believer, you may be a citizen of the great city with all these great privileges but as a citizen of heaven, you have even greater privileges. In Christ, you have all that you need from God. But there's more. There's more than just the citizenship. So, so not only does Paul remind them of their citizenship, but he calls them to be consistent in their lives as these citizens of heaven. So there are two things to note here. First, Paul uses the word only. Right? If you, in, in, um, 
and the first word that you see in, in, in Philippians 1.27 is only. Only conduct yourselves. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Can only conduct yourselves as a citizen of heaven. And the second thing, he says, whether I come see you or I am absent, it doesn't. So what he's trying to say is only conduct yourselves in this matter, whether I see you or if I'm absent. So it doesn't matter if I'm here or there. Let your life be consistent. There's no going back and forth. And, you're, and, and he's saying, you're not doing this for me. Paul is telling the Philippians, you're not acting this way because of me. You're not doing this for anyone. Um, you know, you're not trying to put on a show whether I come see you or not. It's like Paul, when he says in the, later in this letter in Philippians 2, he says, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Your life is to be lived out consistently as a citizen of heaven. In the good times and in the bad times, Christ is glorified. Even in prison, the only one, the only one thing that matters, I am a citizen of heaven, I proclaim Christ. In the face of persecution, in the face of persecution, well, what happens? This is this. You 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 have to believe that this is not my home. My home is coming for me, and so Paul says, "To die is gain." So you know, let's be honest. Paul can say all these things: "To to die is gain." You know, and, and my imprisonment is to advance the gospel. And it, and it's, it's, it's let's be honest. It's difficult to believe and think and live like the way of Paul sometimes. Most of the times we think Paul like, is this kind of super Christian, which is, by the way, an oxymoron. But, but he does so much for Jesus. He wrote so much of the New Testament. But if you understand, but he's, here's the thing. Paul, he can be this person who can go through all this persecution, who can live the way he does and say these things that he does. is, is because he understands where his citizenship lies. He understands who he is. And here's the thing. Our new citizenship, it changes our whole reality. It changes his whole reality. It changed his mindset. It changed the way he lived. It changes the way he responded to things. And so for same for us, our citizenship changes our whole reality. The whole world, the world is scared to die. The world is scared of death. But for Paul, he know that to die is to gain. No one wants to go to prison. No one ever want to go to prison, but he knows that imprisonment means the advancement of the gospel. So he's all in when it comes to being a citizen of heaven. Sometimes I feel like we have this mentality of one foot in and one foot out when it comes to following after God. Now I'm reminded of this quote from, from this pastor in, in California that I listened to. He says this. He says, we have just enough of the world to be miserable with God and we have just enough of God to be miserable with the world. And that's crazy to think. We have just enough of God and that the things of this world that keeps us miserable and even though we go after it, it keeps us miserable. We have just enough of the world that it keeps us miserable with God. Here's the thing. We, we can boast all we want in the world we receive all the honor and privileges that the world can give us, and we will wind up empty. But in the process of attaining the world, we just kind of drag Jesus along in our life, and, and that's just kind of what happens. And so it's kind of like we, we get everything that we want, and we wind up empty, but yet Jesus hasn't really been that fulfillment, and we kind of just drag him along, and, and it's kind of like this one foot in and one foot out. 
But there is no one foot in and one foot out when it comes to following Jesus. But we must realize that our new citizenship and the gospel changes our whole reality. And we must live in this whole, in this whole new reality. Because we are citizens of heaven, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can receive all that we have ever longed for in our lives. Because of the gospel, we can be filled to the brim with the love of God. But if we only live worthy of the gospel here and there, if we only live our lives inconsistently and, and live a life worthy of the gospel sometimes, then we lose out on so much. We lose out when it, when, it, when, it, when it comes to being a citizen of heaven. But Paul, Paul, he's inviting them here. He's inviting the Philippians to a life that is so much better than what their city and world is offering them. So what he's saying is live this citizenship worthy of the gospel. Going all in, living in this new reality of being you're a, being a child of God. And so this is our first thing that we, that we need to see. And they will build upon each other. These, all, all, of these will, all these points will build upon each other. But we understand that we have a new citizenship. And we must go all in. Not one foot in, one foot out. But and so the second thing that we see here is we are given, because of the gospel, we're given a community. So in verse 27, let's continue reading on. Verse 27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. And so for us to understand this, this picture, uh, to, to understand this verse and to understand this point that Paul is making, he uses two more picture words here. He uses two picture words, and, and the first word, uh, that Paul uses to talk to him, and he says to stand firm. So he says, stand firm. And so when Paul uses his word, stand firm, uh, it kind of conjures up this picture of soldiers who stand firm, who stands tall and does not run in the face of danger. And so it makes sense for Paul to use this word, to use this imagery, uh, because um, there were many soldiers or former or retired soldiers who ended up in the city of Philippi. And so for them, they knew exactly what Paul was trying to say to them. Uh, they knew what exactly what it meant to stand firm in battle. Uh, for a soldier, they, would, they knew what it meant for a soldier not to leave their post when, even when the battle rages on, right? They, this is a soldier standing in defense, I, I, and when I read this passage, when I read about that word, I imagine um, the movie Infinity Wars. If you ever seen Infinity Wars, if you haven't seen Infinity Wars, um, there's a scene where they are in, in, in Wakanda. And if you remember in that scene, they're, they're in that bu bubble shield. And there, it was the soldiers, they're in the front lines. And all of a sudden, there's all these massive spaceships. And then there's just a thousands and thousands of these aliens coming for them. And I actually, I, went, I, I tried to watch the, uh, the clip again just to make sure I, I knew what was going on. And, and actually, if you watch it again, you would see the, the, the human soldiers, um, you could see the terror on their faces because of what was coming for them. And you could see that they were scared. But in that moment, um, in that moment, there was this time where, where all the soldiers in the front line, um, you know, I think, I think uh, Black Panther, he would be like, Bombay, right, Bombay, and then the people do that. And all of a sudden, uh, one by one, like a domino, like all of their um, little shields came up, and just kind of blah, 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 and the shields came up, right? And that's just kind of the picture of what's going on here. And Paul is saying, stand firm. 
put up your shield, put up your guard. You have this field of thousands of aliens coming at you. They're killing themselves, going through this bubble barrier and shield, and they're coming at you, and they're standing still. They're standing firm. They're putting their defenses up. It doesn't matter if they can rip your head apart. They're coming for you, and you're standing there. All right, and so this is the picture of what Paul is saying to these soldiers. Stand firm. But he does say more. Stand firm. But he says, stand firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side. And so this is the second picture word that we get here. So we get the picture of a soldier standing firm. But then he shifts. He, he shifts to this idea of, um, he uses, Paul uses the word to strive, to contend, to contend with one mind, to contend with one spirit, strive side by side. So, God, so Paul, he goes from soldiers on a battlefield to athletes working on a team. And so it's more than just being on the same team, but there's unity on a team. So if you ever played any team sports, you kind of know what this means, right? For, there's, there's, in any team sport, there might be a weak link, right? There's always, you know, there's always, we can easily talk about Curry and Clay Thompson and, and Draymond Green, maybe. Uh, he's had like two points the last two games, right? But, um, but uh, you know, I, anyway, sorry. Um, but there's always a weak link on the team. Like sometimes people get left out. Um, for me, I like to play ultimate Frisbee. Um, and here's the thing. Sometimes they don't pass me to Frisbee, who's a weak link now, right? Um, but, like, if my team scores, do I rejoice with them? I'm like, nah. I, 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 you didn't involve me in the play. You didn't give me the Frisbee. You didn't let me throw. And so I, get, I feel left out. And, um, and so, so do I rejoice with them? No. Like, and I also, I also play volleyball. And so sometimes on the volleyball court, maybe the person who doesn't hit, hit as well, they don't get as many sets, right? It's like... Maybe the person's right in front of you. It's easy just to set them, but you know what? It's like they can't hit, so I'm just going to set it backwards. And the person who can sit, hit better, even though it's a harder set, and you know, or maybe if the person they can't pass the ball when the, when the ball's being served, what happens? If you're the better player, you kind of step in front of them so that you take the pass, so that the person who can't pass, you don't want them to shank the ball. And so this is the picture of, you know, are they on the team? Yes, they're on the team. Are they part of the team, though? Are they really on the team? Are they, is there unity on the team? I, it doesn't really seem like it, right? They're on the court. They're on the team, but not unified. These, 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 they're just a weak link. They're just, they're just standing in place. So Paul, he is saying, stand firm in battle. Strive side by side. Be unified. Be unified. Be in one spirit. Be in one mind. We, can't, we, we, we can stand firm, but we, 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 we can't battle alone. We can't do battle alone, guys. And not only do we not want to battle alone, but we have the same purpose and goals. And so, as I mentioned before, the gospel changes our whole reality. The gospel changes the way we see and think about everything. It changes everyone's purpose and everyone's goals. And so every single one of us, every single one of us in here, if we have, or if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian in here, we have the same goal. We have the same pursuits. 
It doesn't matter if you're 11 or 21 or 81 in here. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian family or you just became Christian at 30 years of age. What's your goal? Your goal is to live, is, is to live as Christ. That's your goal. To die as gain, to live as Christ. It doesn't matter what, what status that you have in life. What's your goal? To live as Christ. To make him known. There's not one goal or one purpose that is greater than to live as Christ in here. One mind, one spirit. We all have so much more in common than we thought. It doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the, your relationship status. It doesn't even matter what school you went to. The beauty is that beyond everything that I just mentioned here, the beauty of that is our citizenship and our identity is our bond as a community. That is the, that is the beauty of that is that's what holds us together. To live as Christ is what holds us together as a community. So we strive together despite being so different from each other. We strive together, um, you know, even though we come from such different backgrounds. The gospel, it makes, it, makes, um, it makes many different people into one community. So let me ask you, what is our church mission statement? You should know this. We say this every time when we come in here. Uh, the first thing that we say, HCC, we exist to make God-loving and compassionate disciples of Jesus Christ among all nations. That's the challenge for us. Every single one of you in here. Your challenge for you is to make disciples. Make disciples. So every single one of you in here, if you're a believer, every single one of you in here, if you're a believer, you should be making a disciple. You should be mentoring someone. Or on the flip side of that, are you being mentored by someone? Is someone mentoring you? Is there someone walking alone in here? Is there someone in here going about the Christian journey by themselves? You know, if you're not ready to be a mentor, then find someone to mentor you so that you can be ready. So here's the thing. If there's anyone in here walking alone, you know, we know what happens to them. Without a doubt, if someone's walking alone in here, they're not going to thrive They're not going to flourish in their faith. Here's the thing. No one can walk in the faith alone and come out on the other side a winner. There's no one in here that's going to walk alone and come out on the other side, you know, living for Christ and saying to die is gain. No one's going to come out on the other side a few months from now, a few years from now, and be better than they were. So if someone walks alone, they will walk away. We have to understand that. And I believe Paul did everything he did because of the people who stood behind him. More specifically, the Philippians. They were the only ones. They were the only ones who strived side by side with Paul. Even in Philippians chapter 4, verse 15, if you read Philippians, he goes, And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Think about this. Philippian, the church in Philippi, they were the only church standing behind Paul at the very beginning. If they weren't there, Paul would have been alone. 
If they were there, Paul would have been alone. He would maybe been in prison. He may have been shipwrecked or stoned and, and, all, and flogged and all these things. He would have done that by himself and what would have happened? No support. Maybe, I, I don't want to speculate, but, but the idea is the Philippi church was there. And so because of their support, because of them backing Paul, he was able to do everything that he was supposed to do. And this is why he says strive side by side. This is why he says to stand firm in one spirit because he knows that the Philippian church was one who did that already for him. And they know the impact and the power of being a community, of striving for one goal, of mentoring each other, of being disciple makers. They know the change that comes from that. And so for us, we know the power of change that comes from mentorship and community and making disciples. But we know the devastation that comes from what? From people walking alone. We know the devastation of being lonely, of being the only person on this journey with Christ. One side of that is flourishing and thriving in the faith and people coming to know Jesus. And on the other side of that is destruction, is failure, is darkness, loneliness. Church, we must strive side by side. We cannot let anyone walk alone. The challenge for you and every single one of you in here is to be a mentor. If you're not ready, find someone to mentor you so that you can be ready. So we are called to strive together as a community of citizens. And that's leads us to our third point. Our third point is the gospel gives us a way to witness. Pick up with me in verse 28. Verse 28 says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. He says, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Verse 29, And it has been granted to you for that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here and I still have. So as maybe I mentioned, I don't believe I mentioned this before, but we don't really know who Paul's uh, referring to when he says opponents. Uh, we, we don't know what, who exactly or what the problem, uh, specific problem is uh, that Paul is addressing in this particular situation or in this particular passage. But what we can know and what we do know from this passage is that these opponents that Paul is talking about, uh, we know that they're unbelievers. We know that they don't believe in the gospel. We know that they don't, they don't uh, if anything, um, we, we, we know that they're opponents. And so let me, let me, you know, when I first read a verse like this, uh, my, my mind automatically thinks, oh, if they're opponents, they're enemies. And again, you know, it kind of, my mind kind of goes back to the battlefield. Oh, it's us versus them, right? It's, it's they're not my opponents, they're my enemies, so I got to go, uh, you know, I want to go after them. And even as you read further into verse 28, so first you hear opponents, and then you would hear this, you read this, this, this phrase of a clear sign to them of their destruction. You know, that's kind of what we want of our opponents, right? We want destruction. We want them to lose. We want our enemies destroyed, Right? Anyone who, who opposes us, we want to dominate them. Right? If you're watching MA Finals, you, know, you either want the Celtics to dominate the Warriors or the Warriors to dominate the Celtics. 
That's kind of what you want here. You want, to, you want your team to win. You want your team to devastate the other, the other team. To the, you know. And so that's kind of the picture I kind of imagine here at first. Oh, they're your opponents, and this is a clear sign for their destruction. But here's the thing. That's not the tone of this passage that Paul is trying to get at. Rather, what Paul is saying, even though they are opponents, we're for them. We must be for them. Because, because just because they are against us, that means they don't know the gospel. Because they are our opponents and because they're against us, they're not saved by the gospel and they need the gospel. So when Paul says this is a sign of their destruction, that's God revealing to them that they are outside of the kingdom. So the kingdom of God in the outside world, it's never been about us in this kingdom and us as citizens versus the world. Much of what the narrative of the world is in the culture today is Christians and, and versus everyone else. No, 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 no. And rather, Paul is saying here it's, is that as citizens and kingdoms of the, uh, as citizens of the kingdom, we are for the people outside the kingdom and wanting to bring them in. So this sign of their destruction, it's a sign of, to telling the people outside is that, yeah, you have an earthly citizenship. I mean, if anything, it's a, it's, a, it's a warning of the judgment that's coming for you, so repent and be saved. So the question is, what does God use as a sign, or what is the sign of destruction? What is the warning of their judgment? Well, Paul specifically says in this passage, our suffering are suffering for the sake of Christ, are suffering for the sake of the gospel. So God uses, God uses the suffering of his saints, the suffering of his citizens, all together to be a witness for the lost. And notice what he says about this. Notice what he says, that suffering is a gift. It's been granted to you. So this is not really a gift I ever wanted, I would ever want, suffering. Right? You ever receive a bad gift or a bad birthday gift or, you know, um, you ever receive a bad Christmas gift? Like, you, you know, when you, when you go, when you receive a gift, when you open it up, you're like, oh, yeah, oh, 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 thanks. And you put on a fake smile. But here's the thing. Would you ever be like, oh, I, oh, thanks. Here, take it back. You wouldn't do that, right? That'd, be, that'd just be rude. But if anything, here in this idea of, oh, yeah, our suffering has been granted to us. It's been a gift to God. Like, I would actually go, God, no, no, no. I don't want this gift. You can have it back, right? I, I, I don't want this suffering. But why suffering? Why suffering? Why does Paul mention that here? So no matter what situation goes on, Jesus is better. And what better situation to show that Jesus is better and suffering for the sake of the gospel. Think, let's think back to the jailer. Let's think back to the story in Acts where the jailer, who this is the, the story of the jailer. He goes, Paul, I tortured you unjustly. Think about this. He goes, I, 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 I tortured you unjustly. You could have had me killed. You could have escaped. Why did you stay? Boom. Jesus is why I stayed. Jesus is better than revenge. Jesus is better than the freedom that I deserve. Jesus is better than everything, and I want you to know that. I want you to know that Jesus is greater than my circumstances. So in us and here as Christians, as believers, 
Our lives must show them the loss that unbelievers have in their life. Our, our, our lives must show that the lot, they have lost in their life and if they don't have Jesus. If anything, our lives must show how full our lives are because of, the, 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 because of who Jesus is, despite our sufferings. Paul alludes to this later. He says, whether I have plenty or in need, I am content. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come that they may have life and life to the full and abundantly. Everything in our life, everything in our life points to a greater reality. As believers, we know that our relationship with Jesus is only a glimpse of what's to come in the future. We take communion because why? We, we take communion because we look forward to the great marriage supper of the Lamb in the future. And we, we look forward to feasting with Jesus and eating with him and rejoicing with him. We know that whatever we experience of Jesus now in this life, we will have to the full and for an eternity later on, once we pass. But the same can be said of this world. So on, the sun, on one side, you have the experience of Jesus and glimpses of Jesus and the fulfillment of that to come. But on the other side, and the flip side of that, is the world. It points to destruction. It points to how unsatisfying the world is. It points to how emptying it is at the end. Think about this. When's the last time the world and achievements that you've accomplished, how much that has satisfied you? When's the last time it has completely satisfied you? When's the last time the, the world and anything you chase after in this world has fulfilled its promise towards you? It's given everything it's promised you. How did your own desires work out for you? Because in the end, it's going to be the same. Everything we hold dear now will disappoint in the end. It just disappoints. And I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm not saying don't pursue these things. I'm not saying don't pursue comfort. I'm not saying don't pursue a nice life. What I'm just saying is that it just disappoints. It's good. It's nice. It's great. These are blessings from God. But it disappoints. So this is why Paul, he goes, even through your suffering, even through your suffering, you will not be disappointed. Even in the hard times, you will not be disappointed. If anything, it means your salvation. It's a, it's a sign of your salvation. It's a sign of everything. So in, in your suffering and in your hardship, Christ is still magnified. And in everything that you're going through, Christ is still magnified. And he is enough. And he is better than your circumstances. What a witness that is. What a way to show the world that Jesus is better that Jesus fulfills, that Jesus satisfies because of everything that's going on. Even though despite everything going on in your life, he is still better. So whatever we go through in life, whatever suffering comes our way, we must go through it together. The gospel, he's, the gospel has brought us together. It's brought us together to be one people. The, the gospel has brought us together to struggle together. We laugh together, we struggle together, we cry together, we celebrate together. 
But more than anything, more than all these things of living this life together, may we be a church whose manner of life is worthy of this gospel. May we be a church who's, who's, be a, that, may we be a church that is a light to this world that needs to know Jesus, who is desperate for Jesus, who is unsatisfied with this world and needs to be satisfied with Jesus. So there's a whole bunch of people out there who needs to see this life. And so may we be that church who lives out a life that is consistent um, and worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would be enough for us in here today. That you would satisfy us in our lives, not just for ourselves, not so that we can have a good life, not just so that we can rejoice in our own lives, but that the world may rejoice but that those who are suffering around us may rejoice. But that, those that the, but that the loss around us may rejoice. And would you send us out? Would you send us out as a church that we would be make disciple makers among all nations? And may we bring this hope of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Would you help us to live this out? Thank God we thank you for your life, for what you've done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.